Imagine with me this morning, if you can, that I am Peter. Not Peter Rapp, as fun as that would be, being as, seeing as he's away in a conference this morning, and as fun as it would be to try to imitate his incredible, deep, baritone radio voice, which I would never be able to do. Imagine I'm not that Peter Rapp, but the Apostle Peter, that impulsive, complex Peter. One moment he's, he's dedicated to death, and the next moment he's denying. One moment he's saying a great thing, and the next moment a stupid thing. <laughs> One moment he's brave and walking on the water, and the next moment he's fearful and sinking. But most of all, he is the, the rescued and restored by Jesus, Peter. Imagine, if you can, that I am this Peter. And you're going to need to stretch your imagination because I do not look or sound or smell like a fisherman <laughs> from the ancient Near East. So expand your imagination. Imagine I am this Peter and I've been given, granted special permission to leave the great cloud of witnesses and come to you this morning and talk to you about the time Jesus took me and the two sons of Zebedee up the mountain the holy, sacred mountain, as I wrote in one of my letters, which I heard you reading this morning. Well done. <laughs> and let me make this clear. This is not just me spinning some smart-sounding fairy tale for you to enjoy. This happened. I was there. I saw this with my own eyes. I heard this with my own ears. And it was one of those moments, those holy moments that change you and you never forget. So the story began six days after I made the great confession. You know, this time when Jesus said, hey, who do you say that I am? And I gave the right answer. You are the Messiah. I passed the test with flying colors but soon after that, I bombed the next test. I went from the great confession to the stupid rebuke in a matter of minutes. You see, the Lord, he was starting to tell us about how he's going to go through all this suffering at the hands of our leaders. And then he was going to get killed. Well, this is not how we were imagining it was going to go down with the Messiah. No. No, we were thinking of a Messiah who was going to come in and conquer with power and might. And up to this point, it seemed like Jesus was confirming this idea. Because here he is, he's displaying his power and his authority over every sickness and sin and even death. He was showing us how he was Lord over all of creation with these miracles. He was multiplying bread and he was walking on the water, healing people, forgiving every sin and raising people from the dead. So, I took Jesus aside and decided I was going to set him straight. But all the suffering and dying stuff, well, that's when he set me straight. And it was no compliment sandwich, if you know what I mean. You know, when it starts with the, the nice affirming thing, and then the hard thing, and then the nice affirming thing. It was, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Well, I learned that day that the devil's way is to have a kingdom and a church 
without the cross. And that kind of thinking needs to be rebuked. And that's as our, our preacher from last week, Heather, pointed out. The true Messiah conquers as the lamb who was slain. So it was six days after this that Jesus took us up the holy mountain. And maybe Jesus knew I needed six days to recover from that rebuke, to process things. But needless to say, even though I had thought and said something that was way off base, he didn't leave me behind. To the contrary, he took me with him up that holy mountain to see and hear what no one deserves to see and hear. Now, if you think, here's Jesus, he's taken three, three of his friends up, his buddies up a, a mountain, and they're going to be going on some relaxing spiritual retreat, some mini getaway vacation, you'd be wrong. But if you were thinking, oh man, this is him taking them up for an intense, transformative literal, spiritual, mountaintop experience, <laughs> you'd be right. And our Hebrew scriptures, they prepared us for this. They pointed us in this direction. Because they tell us that the last time that a prophet took three of his friends up a mountain or something like this, it was Moses. The, the only time this happened. It was Moses who went up Mount Sinai and he took with him Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And he goes up this mountain to what? To hear from God from the cloud. And he was transformed. He was glowing afterwards. So when Jesus, the new Moses, the greater prophet, the prophet Moses actually talked about and promised and said was coming, when this prophet brought up three of his friends up a mountain, the holy mountain, expectations would be high and justified. But there's a lot of similarities with the Moses story and what was coming and some differences. And it'd be good in your neighborhood groups maybe this week to uh, explore some of those. You may get some questions about that this week. Back to the story, though, we go up the mountain and uh, we get to the place where the rocky earth meets the blue sky and it's just Jesus and me and the two sons of Zebedee, at least for the moment. Then suddenly Jesus begins to change. He starts glowing, not again metaphorically, but literally and with a light not from this world, with a light that was older and deeper and brighter. His clothes were glowing. They were so bright, so dazzling white. If you saw them now, they would make any Tide or Clorox commercial look like a dirty lie. <laughs> Think about that in the Super Bowl tonight <laughs> when you watch those Tide commercials. It was as if time and eternity were overlapping and intersecting on Jesus. It was as if we were given a vision of that coming, future, glorious, resurrected reality in the present. 
that was promised through the scriptures in the present though now on this rocky mountain in and with Jesus. A vision and a a promise that would then sustain us through all the trials that were awaiting us. A vision and a promise that can sustain you during these 40 days of Lent that are coming for whatever trials are awaiting you. Back to the story. Jesus, he's glowing with this eternal glow. Then out from nowhere, Moses and Elijah, who had been gone for hundreds of years, suddenly show up for a cameo. Here they are, and they're hanging out, and then suddenly they start chatting with Jesus. So I maybe, maybe caught up in the moment, maybe a little out of my depth, maybe I'm freaking out a bit, but I decide to offer one of my brilliant ideas. (laughs) Say, Rabbi, (laughs) so good to be here. Why don't we put up three tents? One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. As if they were going to stick around for a campfire and s'mores. (laughs) They weren't sticking around, at least two of them weren't. But before I could execute my brilliant plan, that's when the cloud came. Like that cloud on Mount Sinai. Like the cloud or the whirlwind that took Elijah into heaven that day. Like the cloud that took Jesus into heaven in his ascension. Maybe the same cloud, I don't know. But the cloud where heaven and earth, time and eternity overlap and intersect. You could call this the cloud of unknowing, but also the cloud of new knowing. The cloud of unknowing where you unlearn those distortions, those distorted visions of God that you inherited somehow. But also the cloud of new knowing where you come into a, a clearer, fuller vision of God and a clearer, fuller word from God. So this cloud, the cloud of unknowing, new knowing, of concealing and revealing, comes over us, envelops us. And we can't see anything. We can only hear. And that's when we heard the voice. The voice that sounded like it was coming from the heart of the universe. The voice that was spoken over Jesus at his baptism, the same voice. It was like one of those authoritative announcements you hear at the airport that tries to get your attention. But this one you really couldn't ignore. Moved you. It was unlike that neutral, unemotional voice that's just trying to to help you be aware of some unattended luggage. Rather, it was the warm, eternal voice of the Father. Full of emotion overflowing with affection. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mark didn't put that in there, but I put it in my letter if you noticed. (laughs) This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But this time the father added something. Those are the same words at the baptism, but this time the father says, and listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. To him. This was not some suggestion. 
This was a divine imperative and a divine gift all at the same time. Well, then the clouds lift and Moses and Elijah, nowhere to be seen, disappeared. They weren't sticking around. All we could see was Jesus all alone. So recap, Moses and Elijah show up. The cloud comes. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The cloud goes. No Moses, no Elijah, only Jesus. Now, in one sense, Jesus is never alone, at least relationally. He's not an isolated individual. He's always with the Father in the Spirit. And as he promised, he's always with us by that same Spirit. Relationally, Jesus is not alone. But, as it, but when it relates to, as it comes to who we should listen to, in an ultimate sense, for what matters most, all we should see is Jesus all alone. So this marked a huge shift for our people, at least for those with eyes to see and ears to hear this kind of a story, this kind of a vision. The time of listening to Moses, who represented the law. The time of listening to Elijah, who represented the prophets, was over, at least in the way we were used to. The time for listening to the beloved son who fulfills the law and the prophets, had come. With stories and visions like this, we came to see that Moses and Elijah, who again represented the law and the prophets, they were not the final destination for the people of God. Rather, they were pointing us to the destination, to the goal, who was Jesus. And he had arrived. And we were seeing that on this mountain. Now, of course, the, the people of God should still read the law and the prophets. They are still the word of God. They are still scripture. As my friend Paul wrote in one of his letters, they are God-breathed and profitable for teaching and for rebuking. Just don't rebuke the Lord. Trust me. Correcting. Training in righteousness. But they should always be read with this literal mountaintop experience in mind. That they are not the, the destination. The goal, the destination, is this one who fulfills the law and the prophets. Who is the word of, the, of God in the flesh. His words matter most. That's why I love when you do your liturgy here and you read the gospel. It's so central. The cloud comes, and we hear, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The cloud goes, and all we see is Jesus, all alone. Here's a couple of questions for you. What mountain would you be on? Who would be on that mountain? Who would be your Moses and Elijah, if you've got one? Every culture has a, a Moses and Elijah kind of person or people. 
So for, for ancient Greeks, maybe their Moses and Elijah was Plato and Aristotle. Maybe for Enlightenment Europe, it was Sir Isaac Newton and Voltaire. For you, maybe Oprah and Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk and Taylor Swift. Every culture, every person has their Moses and Elijah. They're the influencers in their life. And maybe those aren't yours. But what would your influencers be? What, what people, what thinkers, what authors, what YouTubers, what Instagrammers would your Moses and Elijah be? Those people you go to instinctively, you spend a lot of time listening to to figure out what matters most. And can you imagine these people, these influencers talking with Jesus like Moses and Elijah did? Can you imagine these people pointing you to Jesus and his ways like Moses and Elijah did? Or would they not even share a mountain with Jesus? Would they be telling you and offering you a life, a kingdom, a church, or a way that has no cross in it? Because the, mo the mountain I've been talking about, when the cloud comes and the cloud goes, all we see is Jesus. Listen to him. His words matter most. He's the one, he's the lamb who conquers as a slain lamb. And to be on this mountain is a literal rock-solid gift. It's the only mountain that cannot be shaken. It's the only mountain that will remain in time and for eternity. This is the only place, listening to Jesus in his words, where we participate in that which cannot be shaken. Lent's coming. Starts this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. It's a time to give yourself to repentance. So as that relates today, it's a time to think about those voices that you've been listening to. And we all have to listen to different voices for different things. It's not wrong in and of itself. But what about those voices we listen to a little too much? We give a little too much significance to. We give more significance to them than the beloved son, whom the father told us to listen to for what matters most, for what's most significant. Lent's a time to think about that, to change your mind about that, to repent. Lent's also a time to consider trying a new practice or maybe taking up one you haven't done in a while. So, for example, that could be maybe you haven't read the Gospels in a good while. And maybe during Lent you could make it your goal to read one or more of the Gospels daily, prayerfully, slowly, all in order to hear, to listen to the beloved Son, to hear his words, to trust them, to obey them, to be on this mountain that cannot be shaken, where time and eternity, heaven and earth overlap, where we're given the vision 
and the promise of our future resurrected glory with Jesus. The mountain where the clouds come and we hear, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the clouds go and all we see is Jesus all alone. May that be so. Amen.